Once again, the smartest man in the world vodcast takes to the ether. The Greg Poops Film Club once again convenes here in the salubrious confines of the most majestic cinematic palace of all Hollywood. Right here in the gracious baseball cap district in Fairfax Avenue. We are live from the Cine Family, uh, where tonight... Tonight we are going to show Charles Vidor's 1946 classic starring Rita Hayworth, Glenn Ford, and George McCready, the fabulous shimmering black and white melon noir known as Gilda, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're listening out there in Proopcast land and you're on the gym, uh, on the treadmill right now, fucking get home. Uh, if you're at home making tea, get to your VCR or get to your computer. I think you can download it for free on YouTube. There's a 10-part download. Uh, you know how it says one of 10 and then you have to try to find two of 10 and then when you go to two of 10, it's it's some other movie entirely and then you go to three of ten and it's night of the iguana and then you go to four of ten and it's a documentary about iguanas and then you go to five of ten and it's elizabeth taylor and then you go to six and it's Lindsay lohan and you're like what the fuck why is youtube so random can't anyone download ten pieces of a thing illegally for my pleasure why does this have to be so convoluted uh you may want to rent it as well if you've seen it before watch it from memory because uh, we stop halfway through we show the picture and then, exactly and then we'll talk about it afterward uh, and shit like that uh we're recording on the night of a uh, 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 black jesus second inauguration here uh, just to give you some time frame and uh, uh it was it was quite a relief to see black jesus up there today and not not see uncle hairdo i i really breathed a, a huge sigh of relief uh i realized that everybody that black jesus has appointed to his cabinet is an older crotchety millionaire white guy type uh so we can look forward to a lot of the same but uh it was just uh, such a relief to know that uh parts of texas and arkansas are going to leave the country i think quite soon <laughs> And, and God bless them. And good luck to them. Uh, but we're here to talk about uh, Gilda tonight. And uh, Gilda is uh, right after the war, 1946. I think I said King Vidor even on the, uh, the, the blurb that I wrote for the Cine family. But it's not King Vidor. It's Charles Vidor. Yes, there were many uh, Hungarian directors who came over um, before the war, including, of course, uh, Ernst Lubitsch and uh, uh, the one whose name I'm forgetting right now, who I just thought of a second ago, Michael Curtiz, who directed Casablanca. And uh, King Vidor, of course, did The Crowd, which is one of the most extraordinary um, uh, silent pictures of all time. And then later uh, did, uh, 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 what do they call it? I, I want to call it Lust in the Dust, but it's not. The one with Gregory Peck and... Jewel in the Sun with, with Jennifer Jones and Ben Nine, number nine Egyptian makeup playing a Mexican girl. Uh, <laughs> And Gregory Peck is kind of a sleazy, louche, you know, sort of cowhand type. It's quite good. And, uh, but it's not that King Vidor. It's Charles Vidor, who's another director entirely. But what I wanted to get at tonight was the subject of goddesses. Uh, we have pictures now, and we have lots of good-looking ladies in the movies and all that. I, I was looking at Vanity Fair just today, and it said, Jennifer Lawrence is the most desirable woman in the world. Um, and that may, that may well be true. But how old is Jennifer Lawrence? Does anyone know? 20? 19? 
22 or 23. Uh, I, I, that's desirable. She's also would be, if I had a child, she would be right around my child's age. So it's not as desirable to me as it might be. Uh, I think I'm a little more on the Sharon Stone. Uh, uh, thank you. Susan Sarandon, uh, Gina Davis tip is where I'm coming from. Thank you very much. I, th- I, I can appreciate beauty in young girls. Uh, I think uh, perving on it too hard sends you into a kind of FM shock jock area that I'm not willing to go into. <laughs> I, I don't want to be, yeah, I don't want to be known as, that's all right, honey. You ever sit on something vibrated? It's all right, all right. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Uh, but the movie goddesses of today, who would you think they are? I would say uh, Charlize Theron probably qualifies as one. They're always, uh, Angelina Jolie, right? They're supposed to be stunningly, shockingly beautiful. The problem I have with all of them is they're a bit removed. And I think you'll find uh, that in this picture, and particularly in World War II, right? World War II, the 40s. Um, had so many goddesses, right? It's absolutely the great era of, of sex step uh, bombshells, right? And I'm talking about uh, Anne Sheridan, uh, Ava Gardner, uh, Lana Turner, uh, Veronica Lake. And Veronica Lake um, pioneered long hair. Uh, I know that sounds kind of insipid, just in a film show, but uh, almost all the girls in the pictures up till then always wore a bob or a, a do of some kind or an upswirl or a tony or whatever it was. Um, Veronica Lake wore her hair long and down over one eye and uh, was about yay big and uh, was enormously popular during the war. Now, uh, uh, Betty Grable uh, did a bunch of musicals and had hot legs and a real hot behind. And so she did a famous pinup that was in every locker in World War II of every soldier and sailor and Marine, right? And it's her going... (laughs) Right? Like, come and get these fucking fresh hot cross buns. And... (laughs) Rita Hayworth, our star tonight, uh, is, uh, I, this, this is the picture that sent her into the stratosphere. Uh, she'd been in a few pictures before that. She's of definite Latin heritage, which has been excised carefully by the studio. Uh, so that she's wholly a shiksa goyesha dream uh, in all of her movies. Uh, she did occasionally play hot Latins. Uh, every once in a while, they'd break it out when they needed it. Um, but you'll see that every moment in this movie, there's something uh, spectacular about Rita Hayworth. Uh, not so much that her acting is riveting, not so much that she's a cautionary tale, not so much that she's a damaged personality who can go in any direction and has uh, incalculable mood swings. It's that every, which all of these happen in the movie, uh, <laughs> Because it's one of her goodest roles, because she gets to do so much. Uh, She's quite damaged, and everyone else is damaged too. This this movie has more misogyny and auto and homoerotic fucking sublimated fucking weirdness in it than almost any '40s Miller Noir you'll see. Uh, The men are in love. The women are in love with the men. The men are in love with the men. The men are in love with the women. The men want to hit the women. Uh, It's that kind of movie. It's it's a. it's like going to West Hollywood and ordering the wrong place. It's just, you know, a lot of shit happens and there's anger. There's anger. But Rita Hayworth shimmers in every scene she's in. She, her opening scene, you'll, when you see it, you'll, uh, you, you will gasp with delight. Later, uh, you'll be completely aroused, whether you are male or female, uh, by her overpowering sexuality. And there's something about her that just vibrates off the screen. She's a scintillating presence uh, in the 40s. And she did a pinup that all the soldiers had, uh, where she's kneeling on a bed in lingerie. And she has quite a... Uh, the, uh, let me just put it this way. Christmas is here because a really, really awesome package with every Everything just got delivered. And 
She made it happen. Uh, she was married a thousand times. We're not going to get into the horrible tragedy uh, uh, that, uh, that happened in her life. Oh, Bacall right after. And Gene Turney. Uh, I was talking to a cat named Philip outside, and he, I said, have you seen the movie? And he goes, only in the movie MASH, where they start to show Gilda in the movie MASH, which is an awesome uh, movie note of a movie in another movie. Uh, that's how hot she was. And I said, in the TV show MASH, what I remember is that Hawkeye talked about Gene Turney all the time. If you remember Gene Turney, she's in an, a fantastic uh, killer movie where she kills a little boy and she throws a little boy over the side of a boat and then beats him to death with an oar and then goes back and like when he fell over and Gene Tierney had really sexy right uh, like remember Lauren Hutton in the 70s had the gap and stuff Gene Tierney's got all kinds of teeth it's fantastic loads and loads of teeth um but Rita Hayworth is, uh, how do you put it, flawless. Now, I got this off a website today that was all about Rita Hayworth. And um, uh, the, the person who wrote it wrote, uh, Rita, uh, Rita Hayworth had something. And by something, I mean everything. Um, she came from Brooklyn. Uh, she was taught to dance. Her, her grandfather was a, uh, introduced the bolero, which was a dance craze uh, in the 20s, to this country. Her father was also a dancer who put her in the act. From the age of three, she was dancing. Um, she uh, was taught to dance by her family, and uh, uh, then she got married quite early to a kind of a skeezy guy. She got uh, signed to Columbia. Her name is Margarita Carmen Cancino. Yeah, that's so white. Uh, when I think of the goddesses and bombshells of when I was a little kid, Raquel Welch is at the top, because I think I saw uh, One Million Years B.C. when I was like nine or so. We went to the movie theater. It was just a regular matinee. You know, One Million Years B.C., there's dinosaurs and shit. If you remember the poster, she's in a fur bikini going like this. And there's like dinosaurs and shit. Remember that period in history where dinosaurs and men fought each other in the streets? It's one of the best periods of history. Sometimes they weren't even dinosaurs. Sometimes they were just lizards with shit taped to them. <laughs> superimposed into a giant scene while people went, oh, 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 oh. And I remember seeing the movie, and uh, I did not know uh, in my nascent sexuality uh, what was happening exactly with Raquel Welch. I only knew that it felt really, really groovy below the equator. <laughs> And I think in the 40s, uh, if you saw Rita Hayworth in this picture, uh, you got the same uh, gelatinous feeling down below. Um, she appeared in short order after um, uh, she, uh, she was in a team with her dad called the Dancing Cansinos. Then they, um, they put her on uh, the cover of Look and Life before she had a picture. And, and this is a quote from, uh, from then. Catherine Hepburn, Ginger Rogers, and Margaret Sullivan may appear in... Margaret Sullivan, if anybody... Little shop on the corner. Yeah, right? Little shop on the corner. Um, and Ginger Rogers, who's immortal uh, and, and has to be reassessed almost constantly. Uh, and I expect you to do that later tonight. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm watching a Ginger Rogers movie. Why? It's three in the morning. I'm to reassess her this evening. <laughs> Before the cock crows three times, I am to reassess Ginger Rogers. May appear in dungarees and a polo coat and scowl at the camera boys as if they were boogeymen. I love it for the 40s. This is from a fan mag in the 40s. But not Rita. She gives them their money's worth. <laughs> a boom, boom, out go the lights. By 1940, there were 3,800 stories and 12,000 pictures of Rita Hayworth in circulation. Appearances in, uh, she started to make better pictures. Uh, she's in Only Angels Have Wings with Cary Grant, which I think is Howard Hawks, uh, with Joan Crawford and Susan and God, and then Strawberry Blonde with James Cagney. Then um, she became a star. So 
because when if you see pictures of her before and her name is uh, Margarita, she has low hair and black hair. So they gave her electrolysis and moved it back and dyed everything red. And in this movie, that's what you'll see. The awesome chicks of forehead and the giant flaming red hair. Um, then she made a couple pictures with uh, Fred Astaire, and she's quite a good dancer. And in this picture, she sings a number called Put the Blame on Mame. And you'll notice, as the picture goes on, she doesn't just sing it once in the famous number. She sings it twice in two different styles. Uh, and sadly, it's not her singing, but who gives a fuck? Um, uh, she was a mad pinup during World War II. Uh, if you remember the Shawshank Redemption, um, there's actually a Rita Hayworth. Yes, there's a Rita Hayworth pinup uh, um, riff in that movie. Uh, after the war, between 44 and 47, she's in a zillion pictures. And here's where we get to the singing. Uh, there's a rumor that this is the only time you hear her sing. It's not true. According to uh, bonus features from the DVD, she never recorded her own voice. And Nita Ellis dubbed almost all her singing in Gilda. She wanted to do her singing. Columbia Pictures chief Harry Cohn paid for voice lessons, but they didn't think her voice was good enough, and she was bitter about it forever and ever and ever. Now, Charles Vidor uh, is, uh, was in the fucking... <sighs> was in the Austrian infantry in World War I. That's right. He fought on the bad guy's side uh, in World War I. And then he worked for UFA, as almost every famous German director did. In 24, he came to the United States. Uh, he sang and uh, worked in a Wagner troupe. Then he started making pictures. Uh, an awesome picture, if you've ever... He didn't make a lot of movies, and he's not King Vidor by any stretch. But he made The Mask of Fu Manchu with... Um, Thank you. With uh, Boris Karloff and Myrna Loy. And it is fucking good as, my friends. If you ever want to watch an old movie where no one Oriental plays an Oriental. <laughs> if you want to be offended on behalf of an, the entire continent of Asia. I think the Mask of Fu Manchu is going to be your choice. Uh, he worked at blah, blah, blah. He joined Columbia in 37. He always argued with Harry Cohn. Uh, he made The Swan with Grace Kelly. It was her second to last movie. He made Farewell to Arms with Rock Hudson, which is... Uh, uh, the Joker's Wild. There's an interesting uh, Charles Vidor movie. It's a, a movie about a stand-up comedian who uh, drinks quite a lot. <laughs> Terrible, sad story. Oh, what a movie. His name's Joey Lewis, and you can see him in some pictures, and Sinatra plays him in the picture. And uh, Joey Lewis started every set uh, where he'd come out on stage, he'd have a cigarette, and uh, he'd have a drink in his hand, bourbon, and go, post time. That's how he started it. So he directed that movie. And I believe the Sammy Kahn song, isn't it? Uh, if somebody loves you, it's no good unless they love you all the way. I think that's from The Joker's Wild. That's, uh, that's uh, uh, Charles Vidor. Then, uh, Ladies in Retirement, which is a really good movie about two old ladies who kill a lot of people. Um, but the masterpiece is Gilda. And this is what I love. And this is from IMDb at the very end. Uh, there was, they, they tr he tried to sue and get out of his contract. Glenn Ford hated him. Everyone hated him. Make, be that as it may. Um, uh, he... Uh, in the, this is the best sentence. In the final analysis, for Gilda alone, Charles Vidor deserves a niche in Hollywood heaven. <laughs> Fucking A. Uh, ever so briefly, I want to talk about the bad guy in this movie, Valen Munson, is an actor named George McCready. Now, George McCready will be identifiable to you once you hear him speak. You may go, like, who's George McCready? And then when you see him, if you've ever watched any old Perry Masons or old Outer Limits, he's in a thousand TV shows from the 50s and 60s, black and white TV shows. He's in a thousand, he's in the, the Ray Milland movie, The Big Clock. He plays one of the, the bosses, Toadie, in it. Um, George McCready speaks like this. <laughs> 
and has a horrible scar on his face that the studio said was a dueling scar. He was in a car accident, but he kept the scar. And so through his whole career, he's ascetic and skull-like. And in almost every movie, he's the person who goes, man, you... In Perry Mason, I remember, uh, there's one where he wants to kill his wife and the wife hates him and he goes, you really detest me, don't you? (laughs) You weren't very polite to Johnny Gilder. I wanted you to like him. He is fantastic. This is what he said about playing bad guys. Know this about George McCready. Like Edward G. Robinson, like Vincent Price, right? Their image on screen is one thing. Eddie G. always played gangsters, tough guys, troubled people. Vincent Price was Witchfinder General and fucking Dr. Fives and Dr. Sardonicus and every other awesome fucking... uh, 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 The Mask of the Red Death and The Pit and the Pendulum and... um, uh, of course, he was a really refined person who was a gourmet chef and was a, uh, an art collector here. Um, George McCready, who you'll see in this movie with the scar, in private life, he was a well-regarded connoisseur of art and friend of fellow actor Vincent Price. They opened a successful L.A. gallery during World War II. <laughs> as far as villain role, my, that's a lovely piece of art. <laughs> I have to say, I think I find something suggestive about Rembrandt. And something slightly unsettling about Goya, don't you, darling? (laughs) Oh, no, I can't do Vincent Price. No, I I think it's beautiful. No, I can't do him. Uh, As far as the villain roles went, McCready was grateful for the depth they allowed him through the ears. I like heavies. I'll do it in his voice. I like heavies. (laughs) I think there's a little bit of evil in all of us. All right, so uh, cue the movie up, you guys. We're going to start rolling it in just a second here. Afterward, we're going to take some questions. Uh, if you want to ever uh, contact me, Greg Proops, you may email me at fanmail4greg at gmail.com. Uh, we often take questions on the podcast, not tonight, uh, the, um, email questions, rather, uh, smartestoutofspecialthing.com. We're doing this movie tonight. We're at Bar Lubitsch on Wednesday. That will be irrelevant by the time this goes out. Uh, we'll be in San Francisco at Sketchfest on the 31st of January doing the Nightlife Festival. Yes, I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's open containers full of alligators and you are given alcohol. The possibilities are almost limitless, ladies and gentlemen. Giant saurians from a prehistoric age and you drunk near them. <laughs> Snap, crunch. He ate the whole glass. I've never seen an alligator emit a solo cup from its rear end before. The 31st, uh, is that, the 2nd will be at uh, the Punchline in San Francisco. The 13th will be uh, uh, February 11th. Uh, we're in Manuary now. In February, we'll be at, uh, here uh, on February uh, 11th to show Annie Hall. Uh, Woody Allen's, yeah. Fucking A. I think it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, I, you know, Woody Allen, uh, the less said about his personal life, the more you're going to enjoy the movie. Um, <laughs> however, I think it's his masterpiece. Um, I think Sleeper's the movie where Diane Keaton is the hottest, speaking of goddesses. Uh, but I think she's fabulous. Obviously, she won the Oscar. She's fabulous in Annie Hall. And so fucking funny. Um, I put her up there with Ginger Rogers and Irene Dunn and uh, Eve Arden and, uh, you know, uh, Lucille Ball. Um, on the 13th uh, of uh, February, we'll be in Nashville at Zany's. I'm sure you'll be there for that. I know a lot of the L.A. crowd likes to get out to Nashville every now and again. That's right. Keep in touch with what's real out there in the world and shit. Visit a red state. There's people there. Don't be so high and mighty and shit. Just because you go to Jamba Juice and fucking Trader Joe's because you can't afford Whole Foods doesn't make you better. Doesn't make you better 
than the people who go to Walmart and buy ammo. It doesn't make you better than them. It just makes you different than them. You work hard in a different way. We'll be in Omaha, Nebraska on the 3rd uh, of March at the Holland Center for the Performing Arts, subsequent to the Rites of Spring by Stravinsky. Uh, I'm not kidding. The 10th of March, we'll be at the Laughing Skull Lounge in Atlanta, IA, Georgia, IA. The 24th, oh, the 19th of March, we'll be in Paris at La Java. Uh, So you should visit that. It's in the festive um, Al-Qaeda district. It's at the corner of Rue Zero Dark Thirty. And Rue Neuf Anse. Uh, it's a fabulous club. And uh, then we'll be at the Soho Theater in London on the 24th, uh, the Parlor in Bellevue on the 7th of April, and Chicago uh, on the 11th of April at Zane is there. Yes, the sister club. Uh, we have T-shirts. You can go to my website, gregproops.com, and you can get a Smartest Man in the World T-shirt. They'll be getting McTavish T-shirts soon. I've been waiting that forever. Shut the fuck up. You haven't said a word all night, and it's not that welcome that you're doing it now. Yeah, but you've been talking about pussy all night. Not that kind of fucking pussy. Uh, and like that <laughs> this is Kittens McTavish and a lot of people in the crowd just went oh <laughs> a lot of comics would like to end on a transcendent note that swirls us into the magic of cinematic glory and the silver shimmering screen that is the movie Gilda I prefer to end on the crowd being disappointed with my last pussy reference before I show <laughs> a classic black and white movie so cue it up right now if you're at home if you're here in the house get ready uh, pull up your socks because it's time to watch Rita Hayworth dominate the world because she is from planet fucking Punani I give you Gilda Um, how great uh, first of all gentlemen the double-breasted suits in this movie. Wow. I'm not a big double-breasted person. It's kind of Leno. Um, but the one that Obergon is wearing through the whole second act of the movie that has no two buttons over here, just the two buttons over here, fuck me. Uh, Glenn Ford's wearing nothing but double-breasted suits. Earlier in the picture, uh, if you remember early in the movie before Gilda appears, uh, when Johnny's got a gig and he's wearing the white um, tuxedo jacket, the shawl collar with the double-breasted, he walks into Balan's office and he's got two glasses in his hand. Did anyone notice that? Fucking waiter style, man. He walks in with two glasses in his hand and then takes one out and holds one out. And then later in the second act, uh, Balin is wearing, when he has the meeting with the Germans, right, for the tungsten cartel, which is hilariously awesome at this point. (laughs) Tungsten? Really? Now, of course, it would be like, you know, IT or some kind of tech thing. But in, in 1946, fucking steel. Steel was going to run the world, right? Because my favorite line, I think, in the whole picture is when Glenn Ford goes, in the meantime, the war happened. <laughs> world War II, all million years of it, is indicated by one dance sequence at the casino <laughs> where everyone's singing because it's VE Day or whatever. Uh, in Act 2, when he has the meeting with the Tungsten people, George McCready as Balin is wearing the most delicious fucking spotted tie that I have ever seen in a 40s movie. Giant black tie, silk, and those knots they've got with the enormous white dots on it. Um, let's just talk about Rita Hayworth's outfits for just a fucking moment. 
Earlier in the movie, when she comes back after the first catting around episode, when she's with the Playboy dude, she's got that shimmery fucking overcoat on over the dress, right? That's just fuck off to die. And uh, how many scenes are in the dark in this movie where whole characters' faces are in the dark? When she's laying on the bed and George McCready sits down and then he's in the dark, she's in the dark, then she pops up on the bed and then she's in the light and George McCready's in the dark. He goes, hate is a very exciting emotion. It's, what does he say? It's the only emotion that's ever... And you're like, oh, no, no. So who's impotent, Right. Is Glenn Ford impotent? Is Balin impotent? Are they both impotent? All they do is fucking beat on her and scare her and threaten her through the whole movie. And she's not uh, getting it going with all the other guys she's with who are clearly not impotent. And then at the end, when he finally takes his dick out and goes, let's go home and shit. um, And Balin's cane. There's a scene early when he meets Johnny. If you notice, uh, when Johnny pulls in the gunsel after... um, Excuse me, after they hold him and punch him in the face in the opening scene where he goes to the casino and, uh, and it's revealed that um, Balin owns the casino. Um, when Johnny rings the gangster back in and goes, not you, and then punches the one thug, George McCready holds his cane up like this. Mm. <laughs> he doesn't let his little friend go, but he holds it up. And then, uh. and Glenn Ford goes, you're being very stupid. Oh my God! You could Freud couldn't finish writing about this fucking movie. I don't know where to begin. An impotent, clearly homosexual man who marries the biggest bombshell of the 1940s carries a cane that shoots a little penis out the end, and then comes back at the end and goes, "I was going to kill you with this, Johnny." But then. That- and then Uncle Pio, who's been there the whole movie, ah, fucking fucks him in the ass with it. <laughs> the characters in this movie, the, 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 the other character actors in the movie, Uncle Pio, who through the whole movie, when he calls him a peasant, and then when he gives him a giant note, first it starts with a coin, then he throws him a chip, then later gives him an enormous note, right, which is obviously a lot of pesos, and he goes, it's okay for a bet. <laughs> Uncle Pio's the best. And, and uh, Captain Obergon, right? The uh, um, Joseph Kalia, who I spoke of. If you've ever seen the movie um, Touch of Evil with Orson Welles, yeah. Um, that same actor, Joseph Kalia, plays Orson Welles' uh, um, sort of lackey in that movie and then kills him at the end of that movie. Did anyone else notice, by the way, and this has often been spoken about this picture, this is the anti-Casablanca. In, in Casablanca, he's alone, drunk, o- o- owning his own club in Morocco, and the girl that he used to love comes back in with another guy. In this one, the girl comes back in married to the other guy, and then he won't fuck her. Uh, and, and spends the second, the third act of the movie not going to be with her, which is the weirdest thing that could possibly happen in a movie. Who would write this? Unbelievably awesome. Uh, and, and so strange. Like, even when you're watching it, and I, I want to know what you guys think, uh, 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 for a 40s picture, the third act is out of the deep end. After... <laughs> After Munson kills himself in a plane and then is hoisted out of the sea by some confederate we have not seen as of yet. And he's like, are you all right? And he goes, of course. 
I'm going to go back and settle a few things. And then we don't see him till the very end of the fucking movie when he walks back in with his little friend again. Um, uh, golly. Uh, if Charles Vidor did nothing else, as IMDb suggested, uh, this movie's the one. Um, put the blame on Mame, the final number when she does the striptease. Takes off one glove, right? Through the whole of the song. And then at the end, takes off the other glove. And then when they yell more, she takes off her necklace. And then, I'm not very good with zippers. And then men are starting to lose their shit at that point. And the whole crowd wants to take her clothes off. Uh, I don't know that uh, any other 40s movie has that much gathering buffet. Um, it is really... A shocking movie in a lot of ways. Uh, I want to go to you guys. Uh, do we have a, a microphone out there? Uh, does Robbo have one? Or, who's got it? You got one? Okay, Robbo. Does anyone want to chat about it? We'll do a couple questions and then we'll fuck off. I promise it'll be short. No one? That's it? Okay. I'm happy to talk forever, as you know. Yes, sir. What's your name? Lewis. Hi, Lewis. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. Um, two things. One... Uh, Oh, I think your mic went out, but I'll repeat everything you say. Yes, he was a Renaissance man. Yeah, he, writer, director, uh, singer, and uh, and strangely, Joseph Kalia was born in Malta. And if you go to Malta, evidently there's a bust in front of the house Joseph Kalia was born in, which is beyond measure. Also, the actor Uncle Pale was on two hundred. Uh, at least, at least 200 movies, yes. How, do you th how did this movie get past the Hayes office? That's what I'd like to know. Well, uh, there's so many... Mo uh, uh, hate's a very exciting emotion. I hate you so much, I think I'm going to die from it. Uh, 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 I, de I depend on all my friends, uh, right? When he talks about the knife, and, then, and he goes, yeah, well, I'll be... I'm loyal and true and all that. It it's the kinkiest fucking kink fest. I mean, we showed The Big Sleep a couple months ago, and The Big Sleep's got scutanus galore. Right? Yeah, there, there are twists and turns that just boom like that. And you, I'm thinking they're making a call for the writer. There's quadruple crosses. There's quintuple crosses. The guy who's been uh, paid off as the Nazi who keeps winning on number two at roulette uh, all of a sudden is shooting Balin in the middle of the casino and then kills himself backstage. Uh, and then what does he say? Uh, are you sorry that he's dead? No. <laughs> says Glenn Ford. Did, uh, 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 George McCready with his back did he kill himself Johnny <laughs> there's not a lot of movies where characters ask did he kill himself and the answer is yes and we don't care because he was superfluous to our bizarre homosexual triangle we have going on I have no idea how this got past the Hayes office. I think in the, uh, uh, in the shock and awe of after World War II, and remember the big sleep came out right before this uh, and, and a lot of other pictures. I think this is the wave that carries uh, noir into the 50s and early uh, uh, from the late 40s into the early 50s where um, women are not to be trusted. They're usually black widows and guys are hapless dupes. And Glenn Ford's not only a hapless dupe, as Obergon says to him, what is it? You're the... This is the most the strangest case of hate I, I've ever had the pleasure to see or whatever. I'm a good cop, he says, fantastically. Um, it's kinky most, and I think that's what makes this movie stand up. That and, of course, uh, and, and I'd like to know whether you agree, Rita Hayworth. Um, yeah. 
It's not so much the acting. It's just fucking everything. Uh, the script's all over the fucking yard. At a certain point in the movie, you're like, what's happening? <laughs> Is there really a tungsten cartel I'm supposed to... We thought it was the hot girl who kept walking in in giant pumps with open-toed fucking shoes every two seconds. How about when she goes to Montevideo and has her own act? And it's got... And the weird, like... What is the flesh tone midi top that's going on there? And she does the fucking dance and shit like that. Oh, my God. Next to Ava Gardner, I don't think... Rita Hayworth, wow. Kicking McTavish. Uh, any other questions? Any, uh, or comments or anything? That's it, really? No? Yes, my precious love. Rita Hayworth's hair is a force of nature. I'm going to repeat it because no one will hear you on this podcast. Uh, Rita Hayworth's hair in this movie is another character. Uh, and it's an overly sexualized, wild character that's completely emotional. When she's lying on the bed, when, uh, when, when Balan's talking to her in the beginning, and she comes up in the dark, and then her hair's there. In the opening scene, when she goes, are you decent? And she flips the hair back. Later in the movie, when the hair's in her face, when she does the dance and goes, I'm not good with zippers, the hair's all of... I mean, like... The hair is an invitation, and uh, we know what you're being invited to. A superb prom. With an unbelievable ending. You're all cockeyed, Johnny. What about the world they live in? It's cigarettes and alcohol and tuxedos and fucking double-breasted jackets, and everyone's in evening wear every second of the fucking movie. There's no daytime in this movie. Have you noticed that? There is no scene in the daytime. It starts in the night. The opening shots, the fucking dice rolling toward the camera. There's no sunlight in this movie. No one has ever seen in the sun. They go swimming in the night. You'll have to teach me sometime, Johnny. Teach you what? Well, how to swim. And, and all the cigarette smoking and everything. Everybody's got a case with awesome cigarettes and a fancy lighter and shit like that. This is a movie that takes place completely in adult time, in evening clothing, in the dark. He knocks on her door and goes, may I come in? And she goes, yes, Balin, when she's with the maid. Like, this is your husband. I don't know how many people are married here, but I don't knock on the door of my wife's boudoir. I enter rather freely. But I'm feeling now like I should knock on the door two times and then come in. <laughs> what does she say? I better not make any mistakes. Both of them, right? Oh my God, what a weird fucking. Anybody else? Where's Robbo? I'm right over here. Oh, there you are. Anyone? Anyone? I was just going to mention, you mentioned that. Here, will you say it on mic? That way it'll be in the show. I mean, it'll be in the show anyway. What's your name, my, my friend? John Jono from the TCM Classic Movie Fan Club. Are you really? What's your, what, what were you saying, Jono? You, you didn't mention that margaritas were, were named after her. Supposedly that certain myth that margarita, the margarita cocktail was named after Rita. I can think of nothing more exciting. <laughs> Than the margarita being named after Rita Hayworth. Uh, I had an aunt named Nita, but her name was Juanita. 
And I never fancied her the way I fancy Rita Hayworth. Uh, I hope that margaritas are named after Rita Hayworth because it makes them so much more fulfilling each time you lift one to your lips. The problem with today is you can't light a fag when you drink a margarita the way they do in that fucking movie. Um, uh, cigarettes are like oxygen in this movie. As I say, th there is nothing but moonlight, confetti, and fucking tight-fitting satin dresses and men in double-breasted jackets fucking and and when anyone goes to the bar did you notice they're always drinking out of those little shot glasses right except in the few scenes when they have the toast to the three of us to the three of us <laughs> then they drink out of those awesome champagne glasses those little cocktail ones that are shaped like that that are supposed to be the size of marie antoinette's breasts um i hope margaritas are named after her my god Everything deserves to be named after her in a lot of ways. They really do. One more and then we'll fuck off into the night. And I thank you so much for coming to this one. What was it? Well, here, go, here wait, till, wait till he gets over to you. Oh, we're passing it now? Yeah, no, no. Casablanca is a real uh, uh, lodestone in this, right? Because it, it's not the anti-Casablanca, but it's the obverse Casablanca, right? Where are you? And are you going to speak? I can neither see nor can I hear. I'm like a, a young kitten. I'm blind and I'm... Uh, apparently that question has been answered. Uh, anyone else? Well, thank you, Robbo. Okay. It, no, no, it is the obverse Casablanca, right? Because what I love about Casablanca is the male self-pity. Because there's the scene when, right, like Ingrid Bergman shows up and he can't believe she's with Paul Heinride. Like now he knows he's a nefarious gun running type, but she's all, all of a sudden she's married fucking Desmond Tutu, right? Like when, when you're, when the girl that you love comes home with fucking Nelson Mandela, you're like, okay, what can I fucking do? Morally, she's superior to me. In this movie, she marries a gangster for the same reasons he married the gangster. And then there can't be any sex because what does he say? If she wasn't going to be true to him while they were while he was alive, she's going to be fucking faithful to him while he's dead, right? Like there's this unbelievable retroactive homosexual allegiance that he bears uh, Balin after when she comes back and is fully his, and she's like, "Isn't it wonderful?" And they get married. And did you notice the two gun souls are their fucking witnesses at the wedding? They're standing in the scene, but it looks like they're sitting because it's shot through the window. And then when they all walk out, I thought they were going to stand up, but they don't. They just simply all walk out together. And you're like, they were fucking standing for a civil ceremony. Uh, and the gun souls in the movie both have broken noses, but one only speaks Spanish, if you notice. One says, sin muerto. When the guy kills himself, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And how about when the other guy's in the Napoleon outfit at the party? And he, well, you don't got to get sore about it. People got sore in the 40s. No one gets sore anymore. And more's the fucking pity. No one cares cigarette cases either anymore. More's the fucking pity on that. Mm. Well, what's your name, sir? Well, Philip. Oh, you, Philip. Hey, man, what's up? I'm the Philip. Um, yeah, lovable thugs, lovable henchmen who uh, delivered a punch, but... Not a really terrible punch at that, was it? No, he, he socks him in the jaw pretty well because he goes to the floor and all that. Okay. Not, not, not 
soprano style, you know, just don't stomp them to death. No, he. Well, obviously, uh, George McCready's character just wants to see him hurt a little. He wants him softened up before he fucking guts to him, right? Uh, the opening scene when he catches him in the alley and the guy's, uh, um, you know, going to heist him with the gun and he uh, puts the, the, uh, his little friend, he, he opens the, the knife at the end of his cane and puts the little friend on the hand and then goes, get out. And then later, John says to one of the boyfriends, scram. <laughs> I've really never been that happy. No one says scram anymore or beat it. Take a powder. Uh, they're, uh, they're great thugs. And if you've ever seen a, a, um, a Kubrick movie uh, called, um, oh, I'm trying to think of which one, The Killing. Uh, but also there's Killer's Kiss. Uh, there, there's lots of great thugs in um, Odds Against Tomorrow by Robert Wise. Um, the, the thugs are gay and they live together and one of them is Earl Holloman and they go up to Harry Belafonte in a club and they go, I want to, uh, 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 Ma wants to see you, who's the gangster? Ma wants to see you and I want to buy you a shiny black car. <laughs> That's good thuggery. There's nothing like torpedoes in movies and I'll give you a lot of them. Dan Duryea, uh, Dick Bikalian, right? Dick Bikalian who has the broken nose in a thousand movies. Uh, the blonde guy in this movie who's in a hundred movies as a, as, as a gunsel. Uh, gunsels and torpedoes and thugs are a lost art, uh, quite frankly, uh, in the pictures. Uh, well, what? Joe Sawyer. Joy Sawyer, yeah. Fuck. Uh, so, so amazing. Uh, there's nothing like lovable gunsels and thugs in pictures. Um, but again, they live in this cloistered world. Not just cloistered, uh, uh, claustrophobic, right? They, they rare, there's only really two sets in the movie, the casino and Balan's house. And then, and I'm sorry to be so indulgent, but the car that Johnny goes to pick up um, Gilda in at, at the Centenario Casino, that fucking open top two-seater right-hand drive car. Because Rita Hayworth jumps in it and she jumps in the left-hand side and before the door closes, he guns it and her hair goes, woo, like that. <laughs> fucking yes, man. In a two-seater open-top right-hand drive fucking convertible in 1946. It's beyond sexy. Uh, you can get in all the BMWs you want now and have all the product placement you want now. And there's no product placement in this movie except for canes that shoot fucking knives out the end that fuck men metaphorically in the back. Is there anyone else? Because I see the lights have gone off and I have no idea why. Robbo, are you still working or did you just fuck off? What happened? What was your question? Yeah, yeah, with George McCready. And why is George McCready, even when he's in his pajamas, he's wearing a long black coat? <laughs> and has like a little white thing on a... And then when they walk in, right, after they've been swimming, you're, you're, uh, Balin, you're still up. Yes. <laughs> uh, when, he, when Johnny wakes up, and, he, and they have those awesome pre... 
uh, 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 video surveillance camera cameras, right, that show the whole casino and the audio as well and the little – and the louvers open up. And at the end when they know when George McCready's come back, it's because the louvers open up one more time and they're like, oh, not the fucking louvers. It's George McCready. He's so voyeuristic. There's this weird insanity of voyeurism through the whole fucking movie. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, George McCready, when he comes back and again, it, it's just... And, 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 and does he even really love her? Because at one point he says, what is he? I'm mad about her, Johnny. And then he walks behind the bar and you can't even see him. And then when he finally says the final line, he's behind a, a fucking stanchion or whatever. And he's like, mm, Johnny. You look after me for a long time, Johnny. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> Holy kittens, McTavish. This is off the fucking crazy end. My mother thought Glenn Ford was so sexy. My mother's 93 years old and is still alive. And her favorite actors were Glenn Ford and Clark Gable. Like you look at Glenn Ford now and you go, mm. I guess in 1946, you were like, oh, The what, what? This was Ford's breakout role, yeah. too. Uh, Glenn Ford became a huge star. You're exactly right. Thank you for uh, uh, pointing that out. What he said was this was Ford's breakout role as well. Glenn Ford broke out uh, in 46 after this movie, then later made an awesome picture a couple of years later with Fritz Lang called The Big Heat. Uh, which is a superb noir movie that Glenn Ford is the, the, the straight-up uh, cop in. And then Glenn Ford made two zillion westerns and then a bunch of TV shows, including the original 310 to Yuma, which is better than the uh, Christian Slater 310 to Yuma, let's be honest. Um, and then Glenn Ford died... What did I say? What are you, gonna, what are you technical and shit now? <laughs> Christian Bale. I meant Christian Bale. I said Christian Slater, but what I meant... You're not questioning me, are you? <laughs> I don't like to be corrected in front of a room full of my friends. I demand loyalty from my audience. You're not being very loyal now, are you, Cine family? <laughs> Glenn Ford died a couple of years ago and uh, was, I think, a real, actual, nice person in Hollywood, which is a, a, a rare thing. He made... A, 250,000 fucking cowboy movies and uh, was redoubtable. There's no question about that uh, and, and grew old gracefully. Um, Rita Hayworth uh, didn't have the opportunity to do that and uh, she remains an enormous swirling vortex of purple stars circling us each moment of our lives uh, as does Ava Gardner and all the other uh, goddesses from that era. I thank you very much for coming out tonight. This has been the Greg Proust Film Club. This has been the uh, Motion Picture Gilda by Charles Vidor. I thank you and I wish that all the pages you turn in your life be such a I think you good night.